through 24. Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria in Sicilia, or Sicilia and I was still unknown in person to the church of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. If you were to take a look for a second around this room, uh, look at those sitting to your left, to your right, maybe you look to the other side of the church, because, you know, y'all always sit over here and y'all always sit over there. It's good to take a look one side or the other. What you'll see is that there are people in this church from any different manner of backgrounds. We each have a different story to tell. Maybe the story for some of us is that we grew up in the church. Maybe our fathers were preachers. Maybe some of us didn't come to faith later in life. Maybe some of us are sons and daughters of elders or missionaries. Maybe some of us are sons and daughters of parents. We would say, you don't want to know about their life because it was so hateful and terrible. The reality is this, though, regardless what you say about your story, all of us come from a place of sin. We have struggled through abuse. We have struggled through addiction. We have struggled through anger and pride. We were lovers of this world and not lovers of God. And there's the temptation or the worry, I guess I should say, of there are those who know who we are, who really know who we are, And we think about the gospel and talking about the gospel and we go to these people and they look at us and say, I know you. I know you, Daniel Levengood. I know that when we were in high school, you used to swear with the rest of us and the best of us. You used to do all kinds of things. Who are you to talk to me about the gospel? I know the kind of things you've looked at and said. Or maybe we do the same thing as people come to the church. We know people, maybe we know people in Pell City and they come in this room and we might say, what are you doing here? I know you. I know that you were at the bar last night. I can smell the alcohol on you this morning. What are you doing here? You need to go 
and come back when you have things figured out. This is not the place for you. Go get your life together. Then maybe the church will be a place for you. The letter of Galatians is in a roundabout way addressing this very thing. And as we look at the letter as a whole, it is broken down into three sections. Two chapters each. One commentator says it this way. It's two chapters of biography, two chapters of theology, two chapters of ethics. And all of these things are in defense of the gospel. Giving us an understanding of who we were apart from Christ and who we are in Christ. So Paul for us has been giving us a biography or an autobiography as it were. He's been telling us about himself, his credentials, that he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is an apostle as appointed by Christ, that he is an apostle not because of anyone else. He understands that they need to see him as authoritative, and if they don't, then they won't receive the gospel that he has for them. And he's going to move into uh, a defense of, of his authority and into a theology and into ethics. But he understands it all starts here. If his authority is challenged, then nothing else will be heard. So we're going to see three things this morning. Paul's calling, Paul's past, and Paul's authority. Paul's calling, Paul's past, and Paul's authority. And let's begin by looking at Paul's calling. As we've already discussed, uh, as we've gone through chapter one, Paul's gospel is under attack. The Judaizers had come into the church. They were wanting to add the law of Moses to Paul's gospel. Yes, it's okay. We want you to be Christians, but first put on the law of Moses. And this was so opposed to what Paul was saying that he had to respond. What they were saying struck at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand that the New Testament offers eternal life through Christ alone, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascending into heaven. That is the only way he wants them to know, I preach a gospel that comes from God. God himself has given me the authority to preach this gospel. It came from nowhere else. It's not, as one commentator says, not man's good news about God. It's God's good news for man. So nobody witnessed to Paul. Somebody didn't come and knock on Paul's door and say, hey, let me tell you about the hope I have. Nobody came to Paul and said, hey, why don't you read this? It's not how it happened. No one gave him the roadmap to salvation and said, let me give you this sinner's prayer that you can pre pray and it'll all be taken care of. No, Paul was confronted with the risen Lord. And when he had seen the risen Lord, everything changed. There was no double checking. There was no second guessing. He got it from Jesus himself. 
But again, these people are coming in and they're saying one of two things. They're either saying, well, it's not really the gospel at all. Or they're saying even if he did receive this good gospel, he's gone away from it. But Paul comes in and he begins to defend himself. No, it didn't come from anywhere. He's going to say that he went to Arabia and then to Damascus. And this is certainly true. He, we look at 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 23. It says this, or excuse me, 32 through 33. At Damascus, the governor under King Atreus was the guardian of the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was left, let down a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Even as he gets into Damascus, even right after his conversion and after his, the scales were removed from his eyes, he's beginning to preach the gospel. Long before he ever went to Jerusalem, three years, in fact, before he went to Jerusalem, long before he goes and meets the other apostles, he's already preaching the gospel. And there's a sense where we can say, well, we don't stand in the same place as Paul. Paul is this unique figure who would write the majority of the New Testament. And you say, yeah, that's true. There's a sense in which that's true. We don't go up. You know, we talk about in the church, oh, let me tell you about my Damascus Road experience. But none of us really have a true Damascus Road experience, do you? Unless, I mean, anybody has where you've been on the road and literally the Son of God was right in front of you so much that you were blinded? No, we, we, we don't have that uh, like Paul did. But we get to claim the same thing that he does. We are called out by the same gospel as Paul. Because Paul had a calling. Paul had a calling to come and preach the gospel. It was specifically to the Gentiles. But here's the thing. You, who are in the church, who have called upon the name of Jesus, have a calling as well. And you're called to many different things. Some of us are called to a vocation. I'm called to be a pastor. Some of us are called to other things. But all of us are called to go out and preach the gospel, aren't we? Go. Therefore, into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. That is for each and every one of us. That is not just for Paul. That is not just for the twelve. That is not just for the disciples who have been around, who are around Jesus. It's not just for those who go through evaluation to become missionaries or go to seminary and Learn all the, you know, useless stuff we get in seminary. No, I'm just kidding. It's not useless. It's just a lot. <clears throat> no, it's, it's something more for all of us. We can claim the same thing. We are called out by the same gospel. And it's not a gospel that we have received from anyone but Jesus Christ himself. And so we declare the same with the same confidence. I did not receive, receive it from any man. I received it from Jesus. And we're to plant ourselves firmly upon it. We can defend it with the same force and emphasis as Paul. And not only can we, but we must. We must defend the gospel because that is what he has called us to do. And then Paul goes on and he says, Let, consider my past. Consider who I was. Consider what the gospel has done for me. You know the story of Paul, right? Paul who was Saul. 
Saul, this great Pharisee of the church. And how good of a Pharisee was he? He sees Jesus and he sees his followers and he sees the undermining and attacking that it has come with on Judaism. And he does what any good Pharisee would do. He goes from house to house, dragging these upstart Christians out of their homes and starts having them killed. He didn't get his hands dirty. You know, you don't want to break the ceremonial law and be unclean, right? He's a good Pharisee. He just held the coats, right? Let me hold your coat while you go stone that person. This is Paul, who was Saul. His transformation was so complete. Could you imagine this morning if someone today, someone like Richard Dawkins came in and said, I, I believe in God now and I'm here to worship with you. How would you respond to that? Richard Dawkins, this guy who is a great proponent of evolution and a great proponent of the idea that all religion is is a, a crutch for those who are too weak to see what's really true. And he has gone out with great emphasis and great uh, abandon of attacking and destroying those who would claim the name of any kind of God. And he would come in this door and I would go, man, what's his angle? What's he playing at? Surely he's not really been converted. But this is what happened. I mean, this is what happened to Paul. Could you imagine if there was someone going around Pell City today who said, I'm not only am I going to attack and kill Christians, I have the authority to get away with it with no punishment. And then they came in and said, Hey, I'm just here to worship God. How would you respond? Get out of here. We don't want you here. What kind of game are you playing that you want to come in here and seduce and kill us? But this is exactly what happened to Paul. Jesus had entered his life soon in Galatians 2, verse 20. He's going to say this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His knowledge of who Christ is is personal. It changed his life. And the gospel does the same thing for us. We are evil by our nature. We are children of wrath. We are sons and daughters of the evil one. The gospel comes in. It comes in even as we are Murderers and thieves, those who are violent and abusive, those in bondage to our uh, lusts and desires. And it comes in and it frees us from those things. Not that they are not a continuing struggle, but it frees us from those. And he changes us. He calls us by his grace. He shows us the cross. He shows us the empty tomb. He sets us apart for service. It changes the whole of us. And this is what it did for Paul. He came in and it changed the whole of him. I, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. 
among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who has called me by my grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This morning we read from the Psalms. And the Psalms talked about, you knew me in my inward parts. You knew me when I was being formed before anyone else knew me. And this is what Paul is echoing here today, isn't it? He had, before the foundation of the world, set me aside for this. Do you think it was any mistake that Paul was the good Pharisee that he was? No, that was God's plan, that he would be equipped to know him. Because here's the thing about a Pharisee. They knew the word of God. And Paul had that pedigree. He knew the word of God. So when he sees the risen Savior, things fall into place. I think sometimes in my own life and growing up, and I was a good Presbyterian kid. And when I say that, I I don't say that to mean that you would have liked me. Because you wouldn't have liked me. You would have been like, that kid, and you may still. But you would have been like, that kid is annoying. (laughs) And you may still. But I remember we would learn the catechisms. We sat in, I sat in catechism class. I memorized the catechisms. I knew the catechisms, the shorter catechisms. And then I got older and in high school, you know, we would study the larger catechism and we would learn all the finer points of what these things meant. I was a good Presbyterian kid and I could hold well in any argument about anything that in the Presbyterian world would be different from those outside of me. I could, I could argue and debate predestination. I could argue and debate infant baptism with the best of them. Again, you probably would not have cared for me. And this was Paul. And I realized as I got older, as I began to see this call to ministry, Even though there was a time where I started being revolted at who I was, I still had the knowledge that I was able to gain as a youth. And it benefited me, and it still benefits me. And this was Paul. This knowledge benefited him. It set him apart. But here's the reality. We all come with a past, whether your past is similar to mine or it's very dissimilar to mine. We don't have to let our past hang over us. We come in and we lay our past at the feet of Jesus Christ. And he comes and he meets us. And he loves us. And he forgives us. And so Jesus no longer holds my arrogance and pride over me. And I no longer have to let anyone else hold my arrogance and pride over me either. We've been given the grace of God. Don't let anyone take that from you. This is what they were trying to do. They were trying to come in and rob Paul of the grace that he'd been given by Jesus. And they were trying to undermine it and say, you can't be trusted. And Paul goes on and he has to defend himself. He says, Look, my authority does not come from man. I didn't go to Jerusalem and sit at the feet of Peter and sit, or excuse me, sit at, yeah, sit at the feet of Peter and learn this gospel. I didn't learn this from James, the brother of the Lord. 
In fact, he says, for three years, I didn't go anywhere near Jerusalem. And when I finally did, I was only there about two weeks. Fifteen days. And you can imagine that time. He says, he, Cephas, it says Cephas here in Galatians, that's Peter. You can imagine the time they took together. Telling each other their stories, but it was still just two weeks met James, but again, just for a short time. And he takes an oath here. He says, I'm writing to you before God. I do not lie. He's saying, I didn't get this gospel from anyone except Christ himself. John Stott says it this way. Paul's first visit to Jerusalem was only after three years. It lasted only two weeks and he saw only two apostles. It was therefore ludicrous to suggest that he obtained his gospel from the Jerusalem apostles. He didn't inherit it from them. He didn't invent it on his own. It was revealed to him by Jesus. And you may look at his life, and, you, and Paul would have known some about Jesus, right? He was, elite, he was persecuting the church of Jesus, but even all that he heard, he would have rejected as blasphemy. But now he understands who the Son of God is. Now he has seen the risen Lord. This is how the gospel comes to us. The gospel comes to us as we are confronted with the risen Lord. The religion of anyone else is only that. It's the religion of human beings and it glorifies human beings, but Christ is different. In Christ, God entered humanity. We're going to look at this today in Sunday school. It's my invitation for you to stay around because we're consider the incarnation as Jesus comes in to this world. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says this. He goes all the way to eternity past, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He has foreordained it. He has predestined it. He is the son. He has come and he has given us his good word. He has given us his gospel. All our stories are different. All our background and how we have gotten to the place that we are is different. But you have been set apart if you are in Christ for his service. God has called you and is calling you by his grace. So we can confidently come now with the same authority that Paul comes with. I think it's easy for us at times to look at the Bible, to look at scripture, to read it, to be enthralled and amazed by it, to study and learn it. But we then make a disconnection between us and it. Oh, this story of the apostles is amazing. Oh, the story of, of the disciples is amazing. Oh, we look at the faith of Stephen and how, how faithful he was or Philip and others. And we disconnect ourselves from it. 
But this is the reality that we get to claim the same exact authority of Paul. When Paul comes and says, my authority comes from Christ and Christ alone, we get to say the same thing. My authority comes through Christ. As I faithfully seek to preach his word, I have his authority that he is with me and going before me. He has called me to this world. He's going with and before me. And we should move in confidence because of that. And I think sadly, we fail to go forth with that confidence. Because what does it mean? What are the practical applications of Christ going before us? When we talk about evangelism or, or the de declaration of the gospel, uh, we tend to say many different things. If I only were equipped more. I, I can't just go up to somebody and talk to them about Jesus. I, I, I just don't know enough. I, if I only knew more. If I just, it's just too scary. Whatever excuse we tend to put there, I think what we end up doing is, is this, in a, in a roundabout way, and maybe we don't even realize we're doing it. We're undermining the authority that Christ has given us. I have called you to go forth with my gospel. I have called you to declare it boldly, and I have done this because there are those out there who need this gospel and who I am preparing to hear this gospel. And for whatever reason, he has used, chosen to use us as his instruments to declare that gospel. And we can say here, he doesn't need us. He can have it done, but he chooses to use us. And even as I say he doesn't need us, that's not an excuse because he has commanded us to do so. And we go in authority. Does that mean we always have the right words? No. But guess what? He's working. Even as we sometimes, we go into it and we bumble it and we think we say all the wrong things. He's working. Because it's not about how good we are or how smart we are or how much we know. It's about Christ working through us. I, I think at times... We tend to play both sides of the fence here. We come and we tell ourselves, well, you, you don't have the authority to go do this. You don't have the ability to go do this. We tend to be those Judaizers who come and, and tell ourselves we're not good enough. But we also, on the other side of that, have to watch out. Because there are those who will come in and say, you don't have the authority. You don't have the ability. You don't have the right. And they will add to the gospel. And we have to protect and watch out for that as well. Paul was called. And even as Paul was called, we are called to consider our own calling as well. We are called out of death into life. We are called to have a place in the kingdom of God. No matter what our occupation, no matter what our vocation, we are called to be laborers in his kingdom. We are called to live for him in all that we do, both at work and at play. Knowing that we all have a past, 
the Judaizers here were trying to use Paul's past against him. But our past is no longer what identifies us. Yes, we were enemies of God, but he has drawn us near. He has made us his own dear children. That's who we are. Therefore, we go out with his authority. Not resting and trusting in anything in us. Not resting and trusting on any good works we may have done or will do. But resting and trusting in God himself. He has come as one of us. He has gone before us. He has given his spirit to aid us. So we go with confidence. We fear no man what he might say to us. We defend the gospel at all costs. We proclaim the wonderful and beautiful truth of Jesus Christ. We have called these first two chapters a biography or an autobiography of sorts. But here's what Paul's biography is really meant to do. Even as he defends himself, he gives us a model for how we are to defend ourselves. He is giving us, in a sense, marching orders. We proclaim the gospel. We protect the gospel. We seek Christ and Christ alone in all that we do. We cannot move to the left or to the right. We must keep our eyes focused on him. I think we're challenged today in a different way than Paul is challenged. Paul was challenged in the gospel in that uh, they still wanted the gospel. They just wanted the gospel plus, plus the law. Our challenge today is that the gospel is lunacy. Or they come in and say, look, the gospel of us being sinners, being able to do nothing for ourselves is not palatable. It's distasteful. Let's tell people how they can help themselves. Because God helps those who help themselves, right? No. We are to defend the one true gospel, even when it is unpopular, even when it causes us to be ridiculed. We are to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ, first and foremost in all things, because this is what we are called to do. This is our calling that he has set before us. In a minute here, in a moment We're going to come to this table once again. And this table is a reminder of that gospel. This is a reminder of what we are proclaiming and defending. Christ's body broken. His blood poured out. Not for anything lovely or beautiful in us, but because of his love for us. His unmerited grace. His unmerited mercy. So as we come to this table, let us be reminded of what we are called to. Let us rejoice in what he has done for us. And let us move forward with faith and obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we are 
I hope, Lord, in all of your gospel. Would we come before you each and every day in faith and repentance? Would we defend your gospel above all else? And would we find strength and hope in you? We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.